Yahoo announced a security breach affecting upwards of 1 billion user accounts. Cyber attack leaves 145 million eBay users at risk. Target announced up to 110 million customers may have had their identity and financial information compromised. Cyber security breach at Equifax could affect 143 million American consumers. And now your host, Nexus IT Group. Welcome back to Hacked into the Minds of Cybersecurity Leaders. This is your host, Ben Hotelling with Nexus IT Security Group. Today we have Violet Sullivan joining us. Violet is a lawyer turned cybersecurity leader. She's a speaker, blogger, and consultant providing guidance and legal analysis to clients. She also advises on cybersecurity projects and experienced talent resources. Thanks for coming on, Violet. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, chat today about the risk landscape and consulting in the space, and of course, learning more about your unique progression into cybersecurity. So let's start there. Love to learn more about how you got to uh, to where you are today. Well, I think like a lot of lawyers in the technology area and even cybersecurity or privacy, they'll tell you that it was a little bit of a fluke getting into this space because this was a space that. Uh, you know, kind of evolved. California was the first one to, to pass breach notification requirements. And with that came a lot of other different states with new requirements, finally keeping uh, and requiring some accountability on behalf of the organizations that had issues. And now we're seeing, you know, a lot of other growth in regulations and requirements and standards and compliance frameworks. And I think that that's really what brought me to the industry. But I actually didn't start off just as an attorney in that field, but as a crisis manager in the response sector. So being able to respond to an incident, pull up call centers, send out the breach notification mailings, a lot of the operational details is actually where I got my start in responding. So it was at, actually in the crisis area, and now I work on a lot more of the preventative side. Definitely unique. One thing that I'm really curious about is, you know, how you're using your legal background to impact your your current client base, and and you know, what that looks like. How you can pull on your background in law to assist clients in the proactive security space right now. Well, what we're seeing is that, especially in pre-breach mitigation, is every organization is trying to. They're not usually just for the sake of security, bolstering their, their ability to protect themselves. It's usually because they're required to. Um, they're trying to meet a compliance requirement. And so where the, the legal background is helpful is saying, you know, everyone is trying to meet the standard. And whether it's an industry standard, you're meeting ISO 27001, or you're being, you know, new requirements with GDPR or HIPAA, PCI, DSS, all of these alphabet soup of acronyms where it's helpful to look at it from a legal standpoint is seeing where the organization is and what steps they need to make to be compliant. So the gap analysis that organizations have to go through, whether it's informal or formal audit process, brings in the legal question to a very technical area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Given what you do now, would you say that you have any sort of advantage to a classically trained technical or business person? I think that it's a, it's a team effort, that it can't just be a, an attorney that does a risk assessment and it can't just be a technical person that works with it because of, you know, even the way that some of these frameworks are structured. They look at the administrative controls, physical controls, 
technical controls, you have to have that team of, you know, you want the minds on it that understand the operational aspects of cybersecurity, but also that's even more technical details and also the legal ramifications if these aren't put in place. So having everyone on the table, just like you would with an incident response team, it's important to bring in really many different sides of the coin and different minds to dissect cybersecurity programs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Given today's threat landscape, would you suggest uh, to current legal professionals to you know, move into cyber? Is it a, an industry that's growing fast enough that you would share with a, an individual in the legal space that they should think about it seriously? I think that's a great question. And if I were advising people in law school right now, I would say be more creative about how you're going to get in the industry. Yes, it's fast growing. It's attractive. It's exciting. But there's so many breach coaches right now that just, you know, there's the experts. There's the ones that you, you hear of, Lisa Soto, Melissa Ventrone, the ones that were on the, the large breaches. But where I've seen really the need for attorneys are much more on being able to understand the, the technical side and do more pre-breach mitigation. So whatever also continues to evolve, I think there's a lot of places for attorneys even new attorneys to come in and learn a very technical jargon and very technical expertise by being open to where they can use their legal mind and understanding in a new vocation. So I guess I, I would just say there's, there's a lot of the breach coaches that work for firms that that might be a little oversaturated in the market right now, but there's so many more places for where they need attorneys and where cybersecurity is heading especially with all these new frameworks. I mean, I would advise any attorney, just go be an expert in one of the compliance requirements, HIPAA or GDPR or PCI DSS, just have something that's your expertise and you could create an entire career out of that one expertise in cyber. Do you think that more individuals will capitalize on, on moving towards where you've suggested they move to? Or do you think they're going to continue to want to move into that area that is already so saturated? Do you think that gap's going to close? Or is that something that you know, we're going to have to work on? I think it depends. I think that the highly technical people that go to law school usually sit for the patent bar or usually sit for you know a very highly technical area of, of the law. And because cybersecurity requirements are very focused on privacy right now, people don't see that as being something to, that they want to get an expertise in. You know, it's, it, like I said, it's something that a lot of lawyers feel themselves falling into. There's not even a lot of programs out there at law schools that are focused on cybersecurity and privacy. And, you know, I think it's just going to be evolving when people start seeing demands, realizing that attorneys are really fit for a voice at the table of understanding the requirements that's when they're going to start pulling people from law schools and educating them more. But I don't think it's even trickled down to the education level yet. There's only a handful of schools that have a cybersecurity program or even a class related to it. Gotcha. So do you think it all starts with the, the schools embracing this as a very viable option for a, a legal professional to, to move in? Or is it going to be at the corporate level and the corporate entity talking with the university saying, hey, we need more of these individuals? Or what can we do to close that gap? I think both. You know, everything on the consulting side, what we say is the culture of cybersecurity has to come from the top down in an organization. So it has to be for, for employees to take seriously a 10-minute course that they learn about phishing or malware or understanding how to report things to IT. 
they're not going to take it seriously if it's not important from the executive management. So I think that you're, you hit the nail right on the head as far as it all comes from everyone realizing the importance of cybersecurity and also the teeth that certain regulations have. You know, we've seen that HIPAA regulated by the OCR, they are being very diligent about compliance because the OCR has taken great steps to make those people accountable to that regulation. Okay. So did hear in the news recently, some states are implementing some new regulations within cybersecurity. Uh, you know, can you speak to, to what's going on in the creation implementation of this you know, recent legislature at the state level? Yes. You know, what's really interesting is for so long, for the past 10 years or so, there has been requirements on just making sure that if there's a breach, you notify individuals that, hey, we've lost your information. And so that's really been the, the crux of where these 48 different laws have come from over the past 10 years or so. And every state updates them. It's very hard to keep track of all of these moving pieces. But recently, just as you were saying, cybersecurity has come into play because People are, you know, first of all, it came from people discussing what reasonableness is required by an organization. Are we requiring anything as a part of their cybersecurity so that they won't have this breach the next time? Are they putting into play any statewide cybersecurity requirements? So that came in through the reasonable, basically, language of the statute of, of what they were doing to prevent the issue. So, you know, the question is, if they do not have reasonable practices in place, then the, either the attorney general or private right of action would open up the opportunity for suit. So the, the real kicker is what is the opportunity for litigation, the opportunity for fines and penalties if they don't have a reasonable cybersecurity in practice. So that's basically the basic entry level of where a lot of cybersecurity practices are regulated by the state. But recently, we've had a lot more detailed bills, especially in 2017. So there's been at least 41 of those 48 states have introduced over 240 bills this year. And they have been all ranging from funding programs, initiatives for state regulation, but even my home state, Texas, just actually initiated something for statewide legislation specifically for requirements for the state agencies. So although it hasn't reached private business, they're focusing on let's make this right with our state agencies first. Let's have a group uh, within the legislator that is there to monitor and understand the evolving requirements of cybersecurity. So we're seeing a lot of ears to the ground uh, as far as our legislators and cybersecurity legislation, especially in the wake of, of Equifax and, and Yahoo coming out with a heightened number and realizing there needs to be some type of requirements or regulations on these organizations that hold very sensitive information. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any states that are really leading this effort? This is more of an industry, but the foremost example, I think, in the new theme of cybersecurity regulations has been with NYDFS, which is New York Department of Financial Services. And that specific group is very broad because it, it impacts not just those headquartered in New York, but also has a lot of requirements of any financial services that, that have has a place of business in New York. And that requirement is very close to the NIST standards. So bringing in cybersecurity actual standards, you have to have a risk assessment, you have to do penetration testing, you have to name a security officer 
that is in charge of this. So it's making very stringent requirements in a very short period of time for the financial services industry. And I would say that a lot of states are picking up on, wow, they just went way over what other requirements are, very close to following HIPAA's guidance, HIPAA and high tech. And the NYDFS were kind of when they, they went in, into effect in March of this year, and they were kind of eye-opening because they did have very stringent requirements. I mean, a risk assessment could be hundreds of hours for organization, could be hundreds of thousands of dollars that you invest to do an assessment of your cyber risk, and that is what they're being called to do as a requirement. So I think they're kind of leading the way, and, and you're also seeing that Colorado, Virginia, there's different states that are requiring reasonable security measures, as I mentioned, but they're also specifying what those reasonable measures would look like. Delaware as well, a lot of amendments are coming to a data breach law. So the breach law used to just say, here's what to do in the event of a breach. And now they're saying, before there's a breach, or if there is a breach, here's what we're going to be investigating. Here's what our minimum requirements are going to look like. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to happen, if anything, on the, the federal level? Do you think there's any ideas coming from the, the state level that could potentially be implemented federally? That's a great question. I think that we're all hoping that Equifax would really kind of wake up Congress and require federal law that would be very helpful, especially to organizations, not so much to the attorneys that we make a lot of money off of the different states that have requirements. I don't think that we're headed there quickly. Um, I think with all of the other issues that Congress is going through to pass the budget, a lot of things on their plate, this is very far down on their list. Mm -hmm. Interesting. From your side, is there any law or regulation that you'd really like to see implemented on that federal level? That is a great question. I think that what we're seeing consistently are alignment with the NIST guidelines and NIST is very much the basis of where these frameworks of compliance are being built off of. So even HIPAA can be drawn to the NIST requirements of safeguards that they suggest implementing policies and procedures. So what I would suggest is just to do what a lot of these compliance requirements are already doing and align the requirements with the NIST standards. So if there's a cybersecurity standard already in place, and that is what a lot of requirements are pulling from, why not pull that from a federal level? Yeah, certainly. That definitely makes <laughs> sense. Do you think that would streamline anything? Yeah, I think that that would very much streamline. You know, there could be a, you know, there already is. I was just actually talking to another cybersecurity consultant this morning about that, that there are compliance framework cross sheets of understanding, okay, which ones require you to have a risk assessment, which ones require you to implement an access control policy, which all of them should. but. Um, whether it's FISMA, HIPAA, NIST, even ISO 27001, you have all of these requirements. If you had a federal standard, you could say, okay, if you just do these 20 things, you're meeting both HIPAA, you're meeting the federal requirements, it would help streamline it. If you had a compliance frameworks and understanding what standards are in each one, then you would be able to say, these are the steps that we need to do to be compliant with all of these different requirements and regulations. Yeah, I like right that. Right now, idea. That, that's in the hands of, of experts. I, you know, I've, I've searched online just to find these frameworks charts or compliance NIST charts, and most people keep them pretty close to the vest because it's mm -hmm. a consultants build them out. 
Sure. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Let's talk a little bit more about the the risk landscape and, and what you're seeing out there from your perspective and the industries that you consult in. What does the modern risk landscape look like and you know, what should companies be doing to mitigate the common trends in that risk landscape? Well, year after year after year, the Ponymon Institute and, and the surveys that show what has happened in the landscape as far as data breach show that human error is still number one. Even if we're classifying it now as social engineering, the key piece is that humans are still causing the problem. It's because of lack of awareness. It's because of lack of patching. It's because the same attack vectors are being utilized. So what we see as far as the risk landscape and what people worry about is how do we train our employees to communicate to IT? How do we train our employees not to click on links, not to fall for these social engineering emails, calls, however they're coming in, and also up to date and keep up to date on on patching? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've I've talked to many security professionals that are very technical and you know, they think that a proper modern security program with all the latest tools can mitigate the risk of your internal employees clicking on links. So, basically thinking that technology can stop it from the source. What's your thoughts on that? I I really don't think that it can be stopped by the technical piece because what we see, especially when we go on site and do risk assessments, are it's not just the, you know, it's the human piece, but it's also the physical piece of, you know, knowing what windows are unlocked in the server room or doors. There's mistakes that are made and an IT technical team cannot be right 100% of the time. And we've seen that with the results of the headlines that have been showing us here's where the vulnerabilities have been within an organization. So it's important to understand the vulnerabilities, to understand your human aspect of risk, because you can't just take away risk through the technical piece. You can't take away the fact that humans still access material. Um, There's also workarounds. So we see a lot of access control issues and breaches that come through because a certain person did not follow the policies and procedures. So whatever information, you know, spreadsheet of 100,000 pieces of electronic PHI was on a desktop. They weren't supposed to do that, but there was no technical mitigation that was there to stop the human error. Mm-hmm. Seems like no matter what we do, the uh, the human element on either side, be it end user or technical team, is always going to be our biggest challenge. Completely, um, and I think that I think that that's kind of where we we started the conversation. It's not just the technical person that can solve the cybersecurity issue, although they would love to to be that that resource. I think it takes someone from compliance, whether that's an attorney or risk manager, it takes someone from even human resources to be able to explain how they're going to educate the organization on these practices, making sure they're implementing the policies and they're coming from the top down. So it's not a cybersecurity program that you're talking about. To me, it's not just technical. The cybersecurity program needs to have a training aspect of employees. It needs to have buy-in from executive management. And it also needs to have a wealth of policies that really cement that priority of cybersecurity in the organization. Yeah. Going off of what you said a little bit earlier, sounds like a lot of your clients are coming to you saying, hey, how can we train up our end users to stop this from happening? What are significant differences in what a client or a company thinks that they need to be worried about on the cybersecurity side versus what they actually need to be worried about? I think that a lot of the IT group 
assume if something is pushed out, then everyone reads it. Well, you know, those great emails that go out that say, you know, we're pushing out a new patch, make sure you turn it on your computer, make sure you power up. The Anyone on the, the human resources side or the employee side would understand that just because you send something out doesn't mean your employees are going to respond to it and follow direction. So I think that the IT team would just be, it would behoove them to really engage in interactive training not just send out, you know, 10-minute courses that they expect the, the employee to click through and then that understand that they should report everything to IT, but have it be more a part of the conversation. Have them understand that cybersecurity is something that needs to be discussed. Uh, a lot of people have questions about it. What a perfect time in the landscape of, of risk to talk about, hey, did you actually know what happened with Equifax? Did you know how this happened and what, what resources, what can we learn from this? And you can take any of the headlines that are going on now and have a conversation in your organization about it, whether it's at a lunch and learn or a webinar that you do monthly. Those are what we very much encourage an organization to have that conversation and IT not just assume that when they send out an email with an update, that that communicates everything that the employee needs to know. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting, especially a publicly traded company, you can see, hey, look, this happened because we failed to do this, that, and the other thing. And now the stock that you own is worth X amount less. Guys, let's get this together and you'll really latch on to what we're trying to do. So this doesn't impact us. You'd think that that would be an easy conversation, but it seems that that's not necessarily the case. No, and I think that there might be, again, a disconnect with a lot of the IT groups that I talk with say that it's still not a priority for executive management, that it might be pushed down from the board, but unless the executive management understand the liability that comes through these risks, it's going to be hard for IT to just push the way. And, you know, they would love to, like you said, pull together the cyber program, but even getting the budget for that now is, is still difficult. It's still a difficult landscape to to have the IT group asking for a budget, it doesn't have an ROI. You can't connect the ROI until you show breaches of similar industries. Sure. Sounds like the only way to really close this information gap is to have that executive buy-in. Is there any other ways right. that you think could impact this gap and get more effort, I guess, from internal employees? Or is it strictly you know, executives really just need to buy in and push it down appropriately? Well, I think understanding the risk, I actually just had a conversation this morning with a client who's doing a tabletop exercise, and that's a, a facilitated discussion on what would happen in the event of a breach. And he discussed, he, he used the word, it's a syndication of risk. You're trying to spread that risk and having everyone understand what keeps the IT team up at night and to be able to spread that risk among, like you said, executive management, but also the other people that would be in play in the event of a breach. So communications, HR, compliance, all of these other uh, general counsel, legal representatives, all of these people in the organization that if there, was an, if there was a cyber incident within that organization, they would be sprung into action and making decisions and having a say in what went out to customers or clients or patients. And I think that that, besides just executive buy-in, one way to, to get that and also a way to get the cross-departmental buy-in is to have a tabletop exercise or an exercise where you basically fire drill. Here's what would happen in the event of a breach. That's the, the buzzword that we're all worried about is the big B word. So let's simulate it. Let's talk through how we would walk through a scenario, how we would respond. 
And that helps to syndicate the risk. It helps to spread it out so that more people understand. And as IT says, keeps everyone else up at night for the thing that's been keeping me up for night for ages. Yeah, I think that's a topic in itself. Disindicating risk, I like that. Knowing that consult on you know, specific projects that require niche talent to accomplish client goals, you know, what are some ways that, that you've used and, and found success in finding the right talent or entity to accomplish end goals for a client? Well, I think it goes back to what, what people are usually asking for. You know, they'll come to us with buzzwords. They'll say, we want a penetration test or we want a vulnerability scan. And what we realize is more often than not, they're asking for that because they've heard it at a conference or they've heard it from an outside vendor and they, they, they just want that package. And we try to zero in more on what is it you actually need, not just the buzzword that you think, because there's some organizations that haven't even had a risk assessment. They haven't even pinpointed the vulnerabilities, but they're asking for you on a penetration test, which is effectively having, you know, an ethical hacker come in and try to exploit the systems and find the vulnerabilities and get in. Well, that's a no brainer. They're going to be able to do that. It's going to be successful, but what are you going to be learning off of that? So what we suggest is let's get back to what to, what you need and the resources that we need for that usually are people that are skilled and have the ability on the technical side to understand where the gaps are. So someone who's very knowledgeable in the NIST standards and different work compliance requirements, but also understanding what the scope is of solutions. So I, I look for someone who can find the gaps in compliance on a technical side. And also, especially if, if I can zero in on here's where they're missing on the compliance area, they can help tell me a technical solution that will work well with also the administrative solutions and physical solutions that we're also suggesting. So just like the HIPAA requirements, every vulnerability, there's going to be suggestions that might be administrative, physical, or technical. And they're very helpful in coming up with the technical solutions, whether it's patching, whether it's an endpoint solution, whether it's you know a myriad of other options. That's what I'm looking for out of the talent is, is mainly the experience and understanding in the solutions to uh, mitigate and also respond to the compliance requirements, mitigate the vulnerabilities and yeah. respond to those compliance requirements. Mm -hmm. So knowing that these, these data breaches, these attacks are getting more and more advanced, you know, what would you look for in talented individual to keep up to date with these modern, ever-changing attacks and, and you know, breaches? Well, I think understanding your vulnerabilities is key. So starting off with, if you haven't had a risk assessment, invest in either doing an internal risk assessment or bringing in an outside party to do one, a vulnerability scan, whether it's internal, external. These are all steps that can happen after a risk assessment. But I think that, I know it's a trope, but the, if, it's not if you have a breach, it's when you have a breach. And so you have to have an incident response plan in place and have an incident response team and that's where I think people should be investing in their talent is the crisis management, being able to tie it and make it consistent with existing crisis management that you have, but relating it to cyber. Definitely is a good point there. Well, let's wrap things up here. We like to do our overrated, underrated section at the, the very end. So I'll fire some hot topics at you. I just want a simple, do you think it's overrated topic? Is it underrated? Feel free to share why you feel that way. The floor is all yours. So let's get started here. First one. All right. Requiring a computer science degree for CISO level roles. Do you think that's overrated or is that underrated? Underrated. 
I think I think even some of the uh, you know the CISSP requires either five years experience or that education background. And I you know that's one of those things. If I study for, I would love to get the CISSP after I I received the CIPP. And even the acronyms or the CISO role, I think is should not be just be tied to an education, but a passion for the the industry and for the subject matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Next one, the IT security talent gap. Super hyped. Is it overrated or is it underrated? Underrated. Underrated. So you think that we really are in a, a significant talent shortage, huh? Yes. And I think we're having, you know, with that, with the high demand for it and the low supply, then you're seeing the talent hop from place to place and wasting a lot of resources just onboarding that that talent um, losing it you know I, I have a lot of clients right now that are we're mid-risk assessment and their CISO left so we're seeing I'm seeing it in full force just how quickly CISOs leave and jump to jump ship to another organization sure yeah you know it's something that, that we deal with you know, really every day as as well I'm always curious is the gap truly that wide or are we just not willing to hire people that don't have, you know, five, 10 years of experience? I just don't know. So I'm always, I'm always curious on, on that question. one. Right. I think the number one and two are linked. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Moving right along. Last one. We'll let you go. Cybersecurity conferences. Do you think those are overrated or underrated? Uh, it depends on which one. I, I would, ugh, I think, they're under, I think that's also underrated. I think they're great opportunities to meet others in the field and also to connect with all different sides of the coin, whether it's cyber insurance, whether it's cyber attorneys, the technical people. There's, there's a lot of different conferences and a lot of ways to connect with people in the field. Mm-hmm. So you think if you go to the right ones and you really work to, to get the most out of it, then it's definitely worth the, the time and, and monetary investment for you know, companies to send their cyber teams to these conferences? I completely agree, but I would say not to cram them all in one quarter because the, the benefit of the education is to see the evolving risks and see the evolving threats. So there's no use in putting your whole conference budget into one quarter. Um, but rather to space them out, both for you know sales reasons and also just educational reasons of your group, sending different people, having them report back. I think that's you know the best way to get things out of those conferences, and I think that they are definitely underrated. Great, Violet. It's been fantastic. Really intrigued by you know, a lot of your insight. I think it's extremely helpful and makes a lot of sense for a lot of companies. So it's been great having you on. Um, you know, where can our listeners find you? I know that they're going to be interested in potentially picking up on this conversation with you. Well, they can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, my name is Violet Sullivan, and I work for ePlay Solutions. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, and I'd love to connect with any of the listeners. I'm very excited to be part of this podcast. Thank you, Ben. We want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast brought to you by Nexus IT Group. If you're looking for a new career challenge, let's chat. If you're looking to hire new talent, reach out. Or if you just want to talk about cybersecurity, email us at info at nexusitgroup.com. Until next time, stay safe and stay secure.